the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Tuesday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. Now, I have to admit, I had Bible study fellowship this morning and uh, my group was called to the children's ministry. If you ever want to know just how old and out of shape you are, serve in the children's ministry. But I have mustered all of my energy for the next two hours for today's program. Anyway, I loved being with the kids. They are so sweet. It was just a fun thing. But wow, they can wear, well, me, maybe not you. You're, I'm sure you're fit and all that. But for me, they wore me out. Can't wait for the next time, though, because uh, I fell in love with about a half a dozen kids today. Well, taking a look at uh, some of the news, which is what we'll do in a moment. But first, I should mention that coming up in the second hour, we'll hear from Mo Aiken, author of Fully Known, An Invitation to True Intimacy with God. We're also going to talk about some uh, tributes to Billy Graham in our nation's capital. And Max Lucado suggests that this may be our moment to join God in his holy work, particularly if things are difficult. We'll talk more about that later in the second hour as well. Well, testi- testifying rather before the Senate Armed Services Committee today, the head of the U.S. Central Command General Frank McKenzie confirmed that he initially recommended President Biden maintain 2,500 troops in Afghanistan, contradicting the president's claim that the military unanimously recommended total withdrawal. Well, McKenzie also warned that a full withdrawal would lead inexorably to the collapse of the Afghan forces and the government. Well, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, General Mark Milley, also present at the hearing, echoed McKenzie's assertion, saying they both believed that a small footprint should be maintained until the Taliban complied with certain conditions for withdrawal. And while neither general would say explicitly that they conveyed that opinion personally to the president, McKenzie said it would be reasonable to conclude that their evaluations were delivered to Biden ahead of the withdrawal. Well, during an ABC interview with George Stephanopoulos earlier this month, the president denied that military advisors urged him to sustain a small military presence in the country and reconsider the withdrawal timeline. Your military advisors did not tell you, no, we should have uh, uh, should keep twenty five hundred troops. It's been a stable situation for the last several years. We can do that. We can continue to do that. Stephanopoulos asked the president. No, no, um, no one. No one said that to me that I can recall. Well, there's sort of the out that I can recall. Well, after the general's revelation, some Republican lawmakers have slammed the president's original televised statement as a lie and have criticized Milley for continuing to serve despite Biden's uh, rejecting his military assessment that a steady state of U.S. forces was necessary to negotiated a gate to um, a gated withdrawal. Where Republican Senator Ben Sass, a member of the Senate Select Committee on Intelligence, wrote in a statement, President Biden lied when he told the American people that nobody urged him to keep 2,500 troops in Afghanistan. Today, under oath, General McKenzie flatly contradicted the president. This is the worst American foreign policy disaster in a generation, and the president is trying to cover 
well, I'll just say cover it up with political spin. He had more colorful words. Well, questioning Millie, Republican Senator Tom Cotton asked him why he hadn't resigned if his guidance was ignored, to which the general responded that the president isn't obliged to agree with or adopt military advice. It would be an incredible act of political defiance for a commissioned officer to just resign because my advice was not taken. The principle of civilian control of the military is absolute. It's critical to the republic. Well, determined to not let the decades-long Afghanistan conflict haunt his uh, presidency as it had his predecessor, Biden was committed to a full withdrawal despite resistance from top military officials, journalists Bob Woodward and Robert Costa explain in their book, Peril. The gated solution, Milley referenced at the hearing today, was first proposed by Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin, who advocated withdrawal in three or four stages to create leverage for diplomatic discussions. Biden was unpersuaded by the argument, according to Woodward and Costa. White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki said military advisors were split on whether to maintain a presence of U.S. troops in Afghanistan, despite testimony from top officials who were consistent in their recommendation to keep at least 2,500 troops in the region. Psaki, during the White House press briefing, fielded questions from reporters after the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, General Mark Milley, and the head of the U.S. Central Command, General Kenneth McKenzie, testified before the Senate Armed Services Committee that they recommended the U.S. maintain a presence of at least 2,500 service members in Afghanistan. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin went on to testify their input was received by the president and considered by the president for sure. Biden and White House officials have said repeatedly that no military leaders advised him to leave a small military presence and that there was unanimity uh, in uh, withdrawing as it was carried out. Well, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, General Mark Milley, admitted during the Armed Services Committee hearing today that he had spoken with several journalists for their high profile books reporting on the final months of the Trump administration. General Milley, yes or no to this. Senator Marsha Blackburn, Republican from Tennessee, began the exchange. Did you talk with Washington Post journalist Bob Woodward or Robert Costa for their book Peril? Woodward, yes. Costa, no. Milley responded. Did you talk to Washington Post reporters Carol uh, Leoning and Philip Rucker for their book I Alone Can Fix It? Blackburn asked. Yes, Millie quickly answered. Did you talk to Wall Street Journal reporter Michael Bender for his book? Frankly, we did win this election. The inside story of how the Trump how Trump lost. Yes or no. The lawmaker followed. Yes, the general replied. And were you accurately represented in these books? Blackburn asked. I haven't read any of the books. Millie acknowledged. I don't know. I've seen press reporting of it. I haven't read the books. Well, the senator told Milley to read the books and to inform the committee if the books accurately portrayed him, to which Milley responded, absolutely. Well, Blackburn's line of questioning, it comes uh, following the controversy that erupted from Woodward and Costa's book, Peril, which publicized Milley's uh, interviews and his interactions with Chinese counterparts toward the end of the Trump presidency. In his opening statement, he remained defiant regarding his calls with China, insisting such communications were routine and directed by Defense Department uh, Department guidance. However, he didn't address a key quote from uh, that allegedly uh, came from a transcript from his call with General Li Xiaoqing of the People's Liberation Army, vowing he would warn the CCP if then-President Trump launched an attack. Well, during the second round of questions, Blackburn continued to grill Milley on his communication with journalists. Did you discuss private meetings with the president or White House officials? Blackburn asked. 
Um, White House officials, perhaps the president. I don't think so. Now, they recalled later insisting none of his private conversations with Trump were discussed when asked about whether he portrayed Trump in a negative light or was critical of his former boss. Nelly responded by claiming none of his own observations were said, but perhaps he echoed sentiments that were relayed to him. So there you have it. The hearing today. The GOP lawmaker um, then accused Milley of leaking information to authors they're not entitled to know. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Coming up in the second hour, we'll hear from Mo Aiken, Fully Known, an invitation to true intimacy with God. That's coming up. And the second hour of the Georgine Rice Show. Well, Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas conceded on Monday that the surge of COVID-19 Delta variant at the border took him by surprise. I'm not sure why that would be the case, but speaking virtually at the 18th Annual Immigration Law and Policy Conference at Georgetown University, Mayorkas said, what I didn't expect was the tragic rise of the Delta variant. And we took a step back to reason Um, By reason of that, I did not expect to be in late September where we are. We are confronted with a population of people that, as a general matter, that have a rate of illness of approximately 20 percent. When one is speaking of 7,000 or 7,500 people encountered at the border every day, if one makes uh, takes a look at the system, it's not built for uh, that in a COVID environment where isolation is required. Well, his comments came a day after he told uh, Fox News Sunday host Chris Wallace that approximately 12,000 Haitian migrants had been released into the United States with a surge at the border in recent weeks. Approximately, I think, it's about 10,000 or so, 12,000, Mayorkas said, regarding the number of those released. He also said that number could increase after 5,000 other cases are processed. And that's not COVID cases, testing, or the vaccine. It could be even higher, the number that are uh, um, returned could be even higher. What we do is uh, follow the law as Congress has passed it. Well, here at home, after the Oregon legislature did their job and passed congressional redistricting plans to include a new 6th congressional district, Governor Kate Brown signed the bills late Monday afternoon. For the first time in 40 years, Oregon is gaining a congressional seat, another member To advocate for the uh, common good of all Oregonians, I just signed the redistricting bill passed by the legislature today. Thank you to everyone who came together to get this done for Oregon. The process didn't come without its challenges and accusations of partisan gerrymandering, which is always a part of redistricting. Uh, Portland is carved up and it politically is more advantageous uh, to uh, Democrats in the state of Oregon. We've seen it uh, the other way around in other states. Uh, Oregon state Republican lawmakers showed up for work Monday in the Capitol, resulting in a quorum to vote on the proposed map for redrawing the state's congressional districts. The Oregon House of Representatives voted to advance the congressional redistricting plan on Monday. The vote on the new congressional map was twice delayed last week, once because of a case of COVID-19 and once because GOP leaders rather boycotted the session. Well, the change in GOP strategy came after many of its members didn't come to the chamber Saturday denying majority uh, Democrats, rather, a quorum over the weekend. House Speaker Tina Kotek adjourned that session and imposed a 9.30 a.m. Monday deadline. 
Oregon grew from five districts to six because of population growth confirmed in the 2020 census. But Democrats and Republicans feel very differently about where that sixth district should be drawn. Republicans in the afternoon session said the new map makes it non-competitive and called it blatant and unabashed gerrymandering. Democrats, though, countered the maps are fair and are representative in line with legal requirements and reflect the immense population growth We've seen in Oregon. Well, congressional plans were sent to the redistricting committee to be formally adopted when the House reconvened Monday afternoon. After discussion on the House floor, the new district mass map rather passed. Had Republican representatives not shown up, the responsibility of redrawing congressional districts would have gone to a panel of five retired judges and Democratic Secretary of State. Uh, would uh, have drawn legislative districts. That was not necessary. And the sixth district has been drawn. Well, the Senate, uh, we're talking now about the U.S. Senate, failed to pass a bill that would raise the federal debt ceiling and provide short-term funding to avoid a government shutdown in a key procedural vote Monday evening. All 50 Senate Republicans voted against the bill, with 48 Democrats voting in favor. Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell has called it uh, to decouple the measure to raise the debt ceiling from the funding of the federal government through December 6, 2021. Current funding allocated for the federal government expires on Friday. We will support a clean continuing resolution that will prevent a government shutdown, Mitch McConnell said on Monday. We will not provide Republican votes for raising the debt limit. Well, McConnell explained in a speech on the Senate floor last week, if Democrats want to tax, borrow and spend historic sums of money without our input, They'll have to raise the debt limit without our help. This is the reality. I've been saying this very clearly since July. Well, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer referred to Republicans as the party of default in response to the vote on Monday. It's one of the most reckless, one of the most irresponsive, uh, irresponsible votes I've seen taken in the Senate. And it should send a signal to every family, small business, market watcher about who in this chamber is in favor of in, uh, endangering the economic stability of our country, Schumer said on the Senate floor following the vote. Well, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen urged Congress to raise or suspend the debt ceiling last week, saying that otherwise the U.S. could default on its financial obligations. What Senate Republicans are asking for is a clean bill in which that question is separated from other spending that the Democrats have in mind. And of course, each party characterizes the other as being reckless and irresponsible. I suppose it's for the taxpayer to decide which is actually true. In other news, Megan McCain, she spent years irking liberals as the token conservative on The View, but managed to continue bothering the left on Sunday simply by showing up on NBC's Meet the Press. McCain walked away from The View last month because she enjoyed settling down in Washington, D.C. with her family since the coronavirus pandemic and didn't want to upend her life again for the New York-based program. Now a columnist for the Daily Mail, her appearance on Chuck Todd's Sunday show didn't delight progressive viewers. Apparently they cared. Former CNN anchor Soledad O'Brien responded to video of Todd welcoming McCain to the program with a tweet that scolded Meet the Press for offering her a platform. This young lady is not her father, though she likes to name him frequently. Well, he is her father. She lies on camera. She has zero value as a guest. Certainly uh, she's um, got no credibility as a politician talking head. And yet Meet the Press fails by allowing her to lie on the air, O'Brien tweeted. Well, during the appearance, McCain criticized Democrats for isolating moderates in the party, uh, most recently in the fight over the president's Build Back Better agenda. 
Meet the Press later tweeted a quote from McCain's appearance. But Washington Post columnist Jennifer Rubin was one of many observers who accused her of lying that Biden's agenda was unpopular. McCain fired back that Biden, who was uh, sunk to the worst approval rating of his presidency, is his agenda. Many other liberals appeared peeved by McCain's appearance on Todd's show. But of course, in a free society, we have to hear voices that we don't necessarily agree with and certainly have the freedom to uh, to criticize or at least scrutinize what's being said. Well, The View addressed the COVID testing fiasco that upended Kamala Harris's interview. That's Vice President Kamala Harris. Mistakes were made, they said. Apparently, the false positive test of two of the hosts uh, upended the uh, vice president's visit. Glenn Greenwald mocked Brian Stetler for suggesting CNN is reality based media. And a female CNN producer exited Cuomo primetime in 2020 after feeling threatened by the anchor. NBC's Chuck Todd suggests Trump is to blame for the media not putting a spotlight on Democrats' problems. I'm not sure how that math adds up, but you can ponder it on your own. Shaquille O'Neal rejects his celebrity status, saying these people are out of their mind. He used other words. I'll just use those. Shaquille O'Neal, the four-time NBA champion and one of the greatest basketball players of all time, renounced his celebrity status in an interview with the New York Post. The seven-foot-one former Los Angeles Lakers superstar, who's also one of the most recognizable athletes, is done with the glitz and the glamour. These celebrities are going crazy, and I don't want to be one. I denounce my celebrityness today. I'm done with it, he told the New York Post on Friday. I don't want to be in that category. Celebrities are crazy. They really are. Don't call me that anymore. These people are out of their minds. And again, he's using more colorful language, although not swearing with how they treat people, what they do, what they say. Uh, that's never been me. I never want to be looked at like that. End quote. Well, O'Neill added he uh, didn't want to be a stereotyped uh, as someone who is out of their mind and would rather be known for his kindness away from the basketball court and television cameras. One of the 49-year-old's latest ventures is the Papa John's, is with Papa John's. With every purchase of the Shacaroni pizza, Papa John's will donate a dollar from every purchase to support COVID-19 relief. The uh, fight against racial injustice, boy and uh, Boys and Girls um, Clubs of America, the United Negro College Fund, and community involvement. O'Neill will still be behind the desk for his NBA shows on TNT. The NBA season is right around the corner. So he is a celebrity, but he's not stereotypical. That's probably fair to say. A university has created segregated housing specifically for black students. Now, their grandparents fought tooth and nail to end segregation. Now their grandchildren and great grandchildren are insisting on it. North Korea launched a ballistic missile into the sea. The U.S. State Department condemned the action. And President Biden is being accused of moving the goalposts on the percentage of Americans who need to get the vaccine to return to normal. The Biden team is also being ripped as economically illiterate for the claim that the president's Build Back Better plan costs zero dollars. That's some some magic. A fully vaccinated Michigan couple died from COVID-19 a minute apart from one another while holding hands and an outspoken Marine officer who went viral blasting military leaders over Afghanistan, the withdrawal, has been jailed. Hey, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We're going to take a quick break, but we will return with more of the news. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. 
Hey, we're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Coming up in our second hour, we'll hear from Mo Aiken, author of Fully Known, An Invitation to True Intimacy with God. Looking forward to that in the second hour of today's program. Now we're taking a look at some of the day's news, and there's lots of it to talk about. Well, the Senate voted on whether to raise the debt ceiling and fund the government, and the Dems' $3.5 trillion bill has billions slated for the IRS to close the tax gap. So we're going to watch a bit more closely. Don't be surprised if you're audited. A gas well blowout near Los Angeles has led to a $1.8 billion settlement, and the busiest U.S. container port is warning that the industry is in crisis over supply chain disruptions. Uh, Merck has uh, neared a deal to acquire, I think it's Acceleron Pharma, in case you're interested. Well, New York's governor um, to a congregation. This is the new governor there, Kathy Hochul. I need you to be my apostles. Huh. Freshly minted New York Governor Kathy Hochul told the crowd, I know you're vaccinated. You're the smart ones, because if you're not vaccinated, you clearly are stupid. Uh, But, you know, well, I added that editorial comment. But, you know, there are people out there who aren't listening to God and what he wants. This is referring to the uh, the vaccine. No regard for those who have already had covid and have. Well, I won't go into all of that, but nonetheless. And yet she dismisses those who seek a religious exemption. Well, New York City Mayor Bill de Blasio said teachers have until Friday to get vaccinated or they're going to be fired. The story notes the heartless warning comes after a three judge panel from the second U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals ruled that the city's vaccine mandate can move forward. The ruling came two days earlier from when the panel was expected to hold a hearing on the issue. And the governor made it clear they will fire workers who refuse the vaccine. Uh, Joe Biden in March of last year said thank you to the first responders, health care providers, grocery and retail workers and everyone on the front lines of this fight. Your hard work is what makes America run every single day. But especially in times of crisis, we truly couldn't get through this without you. Sadly, we will get through this without them because they will be unemployed. Israel's prime minister says we will act alone if needed to stop Iran from getting nuclear weapons. From that story, Bennett, who is the current prime minister, said that some in the international community have concluded that a nuclear-capable Iran is an inevitable reality. Israel doesn't have that privilege, he said, signaling that Israel is ready to act alone if necessary. We will not tire. We will not allow Iran to acquire a nuclear weapon. Kudos to Israel. Murders rose nearly 30 percent in the U.S. in 2020, according to FBI reports. From another story, the data shows the murder rate rising to large heights in the summer of 2020 and then remaining above normal the rest of the year. The jump is the biggest since this data started being collected in the 1960s. The Tenth Circuit Court ruled in ruled rather that Colorado can force a wedding site to violate their religious beliefs and Alliance Defending Freedom is taking the case of Lori Smith to the next level. The fight continues. Well, California has made voting by mail permanent and makes cheating easier, which the article addresses in paragraph 13 and explained away without a single quote from the opposition. Gavin Newsom signed bills allowing children to hide their sex operations and abortions from their parents. I'm not sure how you would pull that off, especially the sex operation. But California has been a leader in protecting access to sexual and reproductive rights. This is a quote. But as we've seen recently with unprecedented attacks on these rights, we can and must do more, Newsom said in his statement. 
I applauded the um, establishment of the California Future of um, Abortion Council and look forward to its important work to advance our state's leadership on this vital issue. I'm proud today to sign these two bills that demonstrate our our dedication to strengthening and further protecting access to reproductive health care services in California. Parents are irrelevant. American Jews faced more hate crimes in 2020 than Asians, Muslims, and transgender people combined. Yet the story notes it is uh, number three, according to the FBI crime tracking data, topping the list, the anti-black and anti-white attacks. I hope you're praying we need help in this country. And we can set the example as being members of one body. New York has pledged $27 million to illegal immigrants affected by ADA. They aren't eligible for FEMA, so New York is taking other tax dollars, which the story kindly calls a donation. The ACLU has apologized for the altered Ruth Bader Ginsburg quote that removed a reference to women, because that's apparently offensive these days. But the apology came with an odd explanation that it was not a mistake without a thought. So they made the mistake, but they thought it through and misquoted her anyway. Well, the White House told General Milley to pursue Russia's help in combating terrorism in Afghanistan. Wow. Is that the uh, long horizon uh, view of uh, how we manage in Afghanistan? Senate Republicans blocked a bill to avert a government shutdown and to extend the debt limit. Nancy Pelosi now says the infrastructure bill can't wait for passage of the reconciliation bill, saying our approach had to change. Jen Psaki and Democrat lawmakers echoed the president's um, claim that the $3.5 trillion reconciliation package will cost $0. I'm not sure why it's referred to as the $3.5 trillion reconciliation package if it costs no dollars. And by the way, the Congressional Budget Office says it'll cost nearly twice that much, at least for the first 10 years, and then that amount or more in the next 10 years. By the way, the price tag is actually a huge underestimate. Alabama governor is blasting Facebook's removal of her campaign page, saying big tech has gotten out of hand. She's just running for office. John Stossel is suing Facebook's fact checkers for defamation. You can read more on that at PJ Media. And the Biden administration plans to take action to protect dreamers after a court rules against DACA. And what could possibly go wrong? The Pentagon loosens access rules to secret programs. Secret programs. Raising security leak fears and the Department of Homeland Security spent three hundred and thirty thousand dollars on a computer system. Well, it's been broken since 2018. Just a reminder, this is 2021. New York hospitals fire and suspended staff who refuse the covid vaccine. Oh, New York's governor has declared a disaster emergency because of a staffing shortage crisis. Okay, they've fired and suspended staff who refuse the covid vaccine. And the governor has declared a disaster emergency because of a shifting shortage crisis or staffing shortage crisis. Hmm. Wonder what you could do to fix that. California police have seized enough opioids to kill 50 million people. One reason for the supply chain wreck unrelated to the opioid crisis, a record number of cargo ships are stuck outside of California at ports and they can't keep up. Ford jolts the um, auto industry with an $11 billion investment in electric vehicles, and the energy crisis has put Europe's climate plan to the test. New Jersey will pay the people who um, have been paid not to work to return to work. It's a brilliant plan. 
Turning back time, Western Washington University has created segregated housing specifically for black students. Again, their grandparents and great-grandparents would not be impressed, especially in light of what it costs them to end segregation. The RNC is challenging Vermont legislation, giving voting rights to non-citizens, and anti-Semitic attacks in 2020 outnumbered attacks against other groups that get much more attention, Muslims, Asians, and transgender people combined. R&B superstar R. Kelly has been convicted in sex trafficking in his trial, and John Hinckley Jr., who shot President Reagan, wins unconditional release. It's unprecedented. And China is going to clamp down on abortions for non-medical purposes. And in a moment of much needed humor, a wife claims her $3.5 trillion spending spree at Target actually cost zero dollars. Little tongue in cheek. This day in history, 1781, American forces in the Revolutionary War, backed by a French fleet, begin their successful siege of Yorktown, Virginia. 1787, the Congress of the Confederation votes to send the just-completed Constitution of the United States to state legislatures for their approval. 1892, the first nighttime football game takes place in Mansfield, Pennsylvania, as teams from Mansfield State Normal and Wyoming Seminary play under electric lights to a scoreless tie. 1920, eight members of the Chicago White Sox are indicted for allegedly throwing the 1919 World Series against the Cincinnati Reds. All would be acquitted at trial, but all eight would be banned from the game for life. 1924, three U.S. Army planes land in Seattle, having completed the first round of world trip um, by air in 175 days. 1928, Scottish medical researcher Alexander Fleming discovers penicillin, the first effective antibiotic. 1976, Muhammad Ali retains his World Heavyweight Boxing Championship with a close 15-round decision over Ken Norton at New York's Yankee Stadium. And in 1995, Israeli Prime Minister Yitzhak Rabin and PLO Chairman Yasser Arafat sign an accord at the White House, ending Israel's military occupation of the West Bank cities and laying the foundation for a Palestinian state. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, we're back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. Coming up in our second hour, we'll hear from Mo Aiken, fully known, an invitation to true intimacy with God. I want to remind you, Focus on the Family and 93.9 KPDQ want to encourage your family to participate in Bring Your Bible to School Day. That's coming up Thursday, October 7th. It is a day when thousands of students will share God's hope with their friends by, you guessed it, bringing their Bibles to school. Plus, when you sign up, you'll be automatically entered for a chance to win a trip to the Museum of the Bible in Washington, D.C. So don't miss out. Sign up and get a free guide at KPDQ, keyword Bible, or at KPDQ's mobile app. So check that out. That's coming up uh, next week. Well, the major candidates in the only two states to hold elections for governor this November face off Tuesday night on the debate stage. New Jersey Democrat Governor Phil Murphy and Republican challenger Jack Ciatorelli uh, uh, will square off in the first of two head to head encounters ahead of the November 2nd election. At the same time, in Virginia, former Democratic Governor Terry McAuliffe and GOP nominee Glenn Youngkin are set to tangle in their second debate. Well, New Jersey and Virginia are the only two states that hold gubernatorial races in the year after a presidential election, and they grab outsized attention because of it. And the uh, 
contest in Virginia, once a top electoral battleground that's still competitive, is seen as a key barometer ahead of next year's midterm elections when control of Congress will be up for grabs. Virginia has shifted blue over the past decade, and it's been a dozen years since Republicans won a statewide election in the Commonwealth. But with five weeks to go until election, the latest public opinion polls indicate McAuliffe holding a very slight advantage over his opponent, a wealthy former investment executive who's poured more than 17 million of his own money into his campaign. There's also a long running trend of Virginia voters defeating the party that controls the White House. McAuliffe temporarily broke that tradition in 2013 with his election as governor. Virginia governors are barred from serving two straight terms. And while New Jersey's a blue state where Democrats enjoy a registration advantage of roughly a million more voters than Republicans, Murphy's trying to become the first Democratic governor in more than four decades to win re-election. And he's aiming to break a trend dating back to 1989 that's seen the party that wins the White House go on to lose the Garden State election for governor in the ensuing year. So big debates tonight in those states that may have implications for the midterm elections. Well, on Tuesday, September 21st, the president showed the world he, um, well, maybe untethered from some elements of reality in his address to the 76th session of the United Nations General Assembly. The president uh, said, um, There was a wide assortment of topics, or he he spoke to them, the COVID-19 pandemic, climate change, human rights. Uh, To solve all these global problems, he pledged more American tax dollars to the U.N. He should have stopped there. Well, instead, he went on to make a, a stunning claim without uttering the word China. He proclaimed, we are not seeking a new Cold War or a world divided into rigid blocks. Well, the assertion confirms how out of touch he is, and America's allies must have thought, wake up, Joe Biden, your country is already in a Cold War with China, and America is losing. Our adversaries must be thinking, this America has no situational awareness. Let's hope he gets reelected in 2024. Well, of course, that's speculation. Oliver North and David uh, Goch point out that uh, Biden's no Cold War comments certainly please the People's Republic of China, UN delegation. After all, Sun Tzu, the uh, legendary Chinese military strategist, wrote in the 5th century B.C., it's easier to win a war when your opponent doesn't realize he's already at war. The PRC, the People's Republic of China, has made clear their ambition is global domination. They're pursuing this end far more effectively than did Soviet leaders during the 45-year East versus West contest, the first Cold War. Xi Jinping, Communist China's president for life, aims to avoid Soviet mistakes and has developed a comprehensive three-part plan for winning the new Cold War. The first objective for Jinping's plan is to achieve overwhelming military strength, a goal now within reach. Their annual military budget has increased every year for more than two decades. The PRC now has the largest military on Earth. According to Military Direct, Communist China also has the world's most powerful armed forces based on numbers of ships, tanks, aircraft and advanced technology. The second element of the PRC's plan is to employ their Belt and Road Initiative to buy influence around the globe. The Soviets, lacking China's financial wherewithal, used outright military threats and KGB blackmail to coerce second and third world leaders to become satellite Soviet republics. Communist China will use threats and coercion only when all else fails. Hong Kong, Taiwan and their armed human-made South China Sea islands are proof. The third part of the PRC strategy is to use foreign investment capital, stolen intellectual property 
and trade violations to make communist China the world's most powerful economy. Jinping knows former President Ronald Reagan broke the economic uh, the economic back of the evil empire. It was as it was referred to to bring down the Soviet Union in the 1980s. The PRC will, of course, continue conducting propaganda, espionage and illegal trade activities against the U.S. and Europe. But elsewhere in Africa, Southwest Asia, Oceania and the Middle East, it's um, all about acquiring minerals, rare earth minerals and even hydrocarbon fuel and real estate to uh, in strategic locations. Communist China is moving to become the primary beneficiary of the Biden bug out of um, from Afghanistan. With the help of Pakistan, the PRC intends to become the landlord at Bagram Airfield, the best military facility in Southwest Asia. Jinping and his uh, Politburo in Beijing are counting on Biden's embrace of the Green New Deal and his tax and spend policies to drive America's economy into second place. There's only one way to prevent this from happening. Every God-fearing American who wants to save our kids and grandkids from communist China's designs must contact their congressional representative and both of their U.S. senators and insist they vote in favor of the notion that the United States is in a Cold War and respond appropriately. Meanwhile, there's a new um, strategy on the part of Jinping with regard to a new legal strategy with regard to the theft of intellectual property. California Governor Gavin Newsom signed two bills on Wednesday relating to abortion rights with both helping children hide medical information from their parents. Uh, The first bill, AB 1356, will create new offenses arising from recording or photographing patients or providing within 100 feet of the entrance to a reproductive health services facility. Uh, The other, AB 1184, will keep patient information confidential for patients who are not the primary policyholder for their health insurance. Healthcare services that patients can keep confidential include reproductive health care and gender affirming care, according to the governor's statements. A Newsom statement noted he's uh, his signing of the bill came after Texas enacted a ban on abortion after a fetal heartbeat is detected in that state. Well, for more than a decade, uh, Lori Smith worked in the marketing and design industry, but she felt something was missing. She wanted more freedom to use her talents to convey messages that she was passionate about. That's why she founded and launched 303 Creative. Well, she poured her heart, her imagination and talents into the website and graphics she created. She spent time with each of her clients, which included individuals, nonprofits, small businesses, to get to know them and provide unique and custom website design. Inspired by her faith, she desires also to create custom wedding websites celebrating marriage. But as she prepared to launch the new part of her business, she learned about the Colorado Anti-Discrimination Act, or CADA, a state law that would punish her if she created custom wedding websites only in accordance with her religious beliefs. As a Christian, she believes that marriage is a sacred union between one man and one woman. And why she, why, uh, while rather she'll create websites for anyone, she can't create all messages or use her design skills to express messages that violate her deeply held religious beliefs, no matter who requests them. That's why, with the help of Alliance Defending Freedom's attorneys, she decided to challenge the law in court before it was enforced against her. Well, this past July, the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Tenth Circuit issued an unprecedented decision against her in 303 Creative versus Alanis, holding that Colorado can force Lori to create custom wedding websites that violate her religious beliefs. 
Well, the First Amendment is clear. Congress shall make no law respecting the establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech. Unfortunately, it appears that the Tenth Circuit didn't get the memo. The court ruled two to one that the state of Colorado can force Lori to design and publish websites promoting messages that violate her religious beliefs. But that's not all. They also prohibit Lori from... Um, even explaining on her uh, own company's website what um, websites she can create consistent with her religious beliefs. Think about what this means for just a moment. Both the state of Colorado and the Tenth Circuit Court are saying that the government can compel both speech and silence. But as uh, Tenth Circuit Court Judge Timothy Timovich uh, wrote in his dissent, the freedom to speak necessarily guarantees the right to remain silent. So the majority uh, ushers forth a brave new world when it acknowledges that um, the law in Colorado compels both speech and silence, yet finds this intrusion constitutionally permissible. He continued, this is, in a word, unprecedented. Taken to its logical end, the government could regulate the messages communicated by all artists, forcing them to promote messages approved by the government in the name of ensuring access to the commercial marketplace. Again, Alliance Defending Freedom will continue to argue this case. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We've got news and traffic coming up at the top of the hour. Then in our second segment in the second hour of today's program, we'll hear from Mo Aiken, fully known as the title of her book, An Invitation to True Intimacy with God. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the second hour of the Georgine Rice Show. Coming up this hour, we'll talk with Mo Aiken, fully known, an invitation to true intimacy with God. That's coming up in our next couple of segments. Before we get started, I want to mention a couple of things. Uh, we're celebrating the 10-year anniversary of the Kendrick Brothers hit movie, Courageous. You can win a getaway to see the Casting Crown's Christmas concert in Grand Prairie, that's Dallas, Texas, on Friday, December 17th. The prize includes airfare and hotel for two, concert tickets, a Kendrick Brother movie catalog. That means everything they've made. Enter the Courageous Legacy Casting Crowns Getaway on kpdq.com once each day between now and October 8th. So check that out. Also want to remind you or maybe let you know for the first time that Saving America with Charlie Kirk is now on 93.9 KPDQ weekdays following the Georgine Rice Show at 6 o'clock p.m. Charlie Kirk is the founder and president of Turning Point USA, a national student movement dedicated to identifying, organizing and empowering young people to promote the principles of free market and limited government. Charlie speaks in over 70 Christian churches every year. Now with the launch of Saving America, you can hear those sermons too. He's a culture warrior, challenged to save this country one youth at a time. You can tune in to Saving America with Charlie Kirk weekdays at 6 right here, 93.9 KPDQ. So check that out if you haven't already. Some of the headlines I read earlier today, Biden vax mandate to be enforced by fining companies $70,000 to $700,000. Hospitals fear staffing shortages over requirement. A North Carolina medical system fires 175 in one of the largest ever mass terminations. Poll one third say boosters prove jabs don't work. So they're not really helping uh, with those who are vaccine hesitant. Well, as of 7 p.m. Eastern Time on Monday, September 27th, more than 5,200 doctors and scientists 
have signed the Physicians Declaration condemning policymakers for authoritarian approaches to forcing a one size fits all COVID treatment strategy, which is resulting in needless illness, death and unemployment. An international alliance of physicians and medical scientists met in Rome, Italy, on the 12th through the 14th of this month for a three day global COVID summit to speak truth to power about COVID pandemic research and treatment. Well, the summit presented an opportunity for the medical professionals to compare studies and assess the efficacy of the various treatments for the coronavirus that have been developed in hospitals, doctor's offices and research labs throughout the world. However, many of those uh, medical professionals have experienced career threats, character assassination, censorship of research papers, clinical trials and patient observations, their professional history and accomplishments altered or omitted in academic and mainstream media because of them providing life-saving treatments for COVID patients. One of the doctors, Dr. Robert Malone, who discovered in vitro and in vivo RNA transfection and invented mRNA vaccines while he was at the Salk Institute in 1988, read the declaration at the summit. Again, this is the Physician Declaration. It states, we, the physicians of the world, united and loyal to the Hippocratic Oath, recognizing the profession of medicine as we know it, is that the uh, at a crosshole uh, crossroad rather are compelled to declare the following whereas it is our utmost responsibility and duty to uphold and restore the dignity integrity art and science of medicine whereas there is an unprecedented assault on our ability to care for our patients whereas public policymakers have chosen to force a one size fits all treatment strategy resulting in needless illness and death rather than upholding fundamental concepts of the individualized, personalized approach to patient care, which is proven to be safe and more effective. Whereas physicians and other healthcare providers working on the front lines, utilizing their knowledge and epidemiology, um, uh, pathophysiology and pharmacology are often first to identify new potentially life-saving treatments. Whereas physicians are increasingly being discouraged from engaging in open professional discourse and the exchange of ideas about new and emerging diseases, not only endangering the essence of the medical profession, but more importantly, more tragically, the lives of our patients. Whereas thousands of physicians are being prevented from providing treatment to their patients as a result of barriers put up by pharmacies, hospitals and public health agencies, rendering the vast majority of healthcare providers helpless to protect their patients in the face of disease. Physicians are now advising their patients to simply go home, allowing the virus to replicate and return when their disease worsens, resulting in hundreds of thousands of unnecessary patient deaths due to failure to treat. Whereas this is not medicine, this is not care, these policies may actually constitute crimes against humanity. And it goes on. Now, therefore, it is resolved that the physician-patient relationship must be restored. The very heart of medicine is this relationship, which allows physicians to best understand their patients and their illness, to formulate treatments that give the best chance of success, while the patient is an active participant in their care. Resolved that the political intrusion into the practice of medicine and the physician-patient relationship must end. Physicians and all healthcare providers must be free to practice the art and science of medicine without fear of retribution censorship, slander, or disciplinary action, including possible loss of license 
licensure and hospital privileges, loss of insurance contracts, and interference from government entities and organizations. Resolve that physicians must defend their right to prescribe treatment, observing the tenet, first do no harm. It goes on from there. Resolve that we invite physicians of the world and all healthcare providers to join us in this noble cause as we endeavor to restore trust, integrity, and professionalism to the practice of medicine. Resolved that we invite the scientists of the world who are skilled in biomedical research and uphold the highest ethical and moral standards to insist on their ability to conduct and publish objective empirical research without fear of reprisal upon their careers, reputations and livelihoods. Resolved that we invite patients who believe in the importance of the physician patient relationship and the ability to be active participants in their care to demand access to science based medical care and uh it goes on from there. So it's a rather interesting uh, document where it goes from there. What influence it might have uh, remains to be seen with the Boy Scouts of America's complex bankruptcy case. Uh, there is worsening friction between the BSA, the Boy Scouts of America, and the major religious groups that help it run thousands of scout units. At issue, the church's fears that an eventual settlement while protecting the Boy Scouts of America from future sex abuse lawsuits could leave many churches unprotected. The Boy Scouts sought bankrupt, uh, bankruptcy protection in February of last year in an effort to halt individual lawsuits and create a huge compensation fund for thousands of men who say they were molested as youngsters by scoutmasters and other leaders. Well, at the time, the national organization estimated it might face 5,000 cases. It now faces 82,500 well, in July, the BSA proposed a $850 million deal that would bar further lawsuit against it and its local councils. The deal didn't cover the more than 40,000 organizations that have charters with the BSA to sponsor scout units, including many churches from major religious denominations that are now questioning their future involvement in scouting. The United Methodist Church, which says up to 5,000 of its U.S. congregations could be affected by future lawsuits, recently advised those churches not to extend their churches with the BSA beyond the end of this year. The uh, United Methodist Church said these congregations were disappointed and very concerned that they weren't included in the July deal. One lawyer for Catholic churches monitoring the case said it's unfair that parishes now face liability solely as a result of misconduct by Boy Scout troop leaders who frequently had no connection to the parish. Scouting can only be uh, delivered with help of their chartered organizations. The Associated Press, uh, he told the Associated Press, it's short sighted not to uh, be protecting the people they absolutely need to ensure that scouting is viable in the future. So the dilemma for the church continues. Well, there are five Supreme Court cases to watch in the 2021-22 year. We'll talk about that tomorrow as I've gotten the signal from Clark telling me we're out of time. Our conversation with Mo Aiken is coming up. Fully known, an invitation to true intimacy with God is up next. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show, and I'm glad you're with us because we're going to talk about a subject that can be a little bit touchy for some of us, either because we don't necessarily understand the concept or 
we don't quite know how to get to where we want to be. My next guest, who is the author of Fully Known, An Invitation to True Intimacy with God, she writes that we're made for intimacy, spiritual intimacy with God that brings oneness and bears powerful fruit. We were made to know him and to be known by him fully. So the question is, why do we so often feel burned out, distanced, and disheartened? Well, my next guest is Mo Aiken. She's a New York Times bestselling author. She's back with a new book, Fully Known, An Invitation to True Intimacy with God. She invites readers on a journey into an active communion with him. The book's written for people who feel disconnected from God, who feel burned out from religion, or desire to understand what it means to actually have a relationship with God. They hunger for more in the faith. Well, the blueprint of the book is uh, the blueprint our creator has given us dynamic intimacy with God. What stands in opposition to that model can prevent us from fully experiencing what he has in store for us. Well, my next guest is the New York Times bestselling author of Wreck My Life and Sex, Jesus and the Conversations, The Church for God, Mo Aiken, who is Mo Isom. She collaborates for the kingdom with Bold Life Initiative, a ministry that exists to challenge, encourage, and equip Christian followers to pursue holy and bold lives. And her family team maintains a thriving nationwide speaking ministry and facilitates a faith-centered blog that has garnered millions of views to date. She and her husband, Jeremiah, they live with their three sons, soon to be four, by the way, in Atlanta, Georgia. Mo, thank you so much for joining us today, and congratulations. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be with you. And I appreciate it. Yeah, we're a week away from number four. So it's uh, (laughs) all hands on deck over here. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Again, congratulations. You know, we use the word intimacy a lot. And in certain contexts, we think we have a pretty good idea of what that means. But can we define the term intimacy in the context of our relationship with God? I mean, he knows everything about us. Is that what the scripture refers to uh, as intimacy that he knows us? While we may or may not know him very well, what are we what are we looking at in terms of the goal of our relationship with Christ? Yes, the beauty of true intimacy, even as we think about it in the context of uh, a marriage relationship, right? It is a mutual knowing and being known. It is vulnerability. It's transparency. It's a oneness that comes from, um, man, really being drawn together and pulling back the layers of one another, learning of one another and exploring one another at greater depth. So, There was a season, a time where I was doing a lot of great things for the kingdom, ministering, traveling, Um, man, a wife, a mom. It it felt like doing a lot for God, but it was like my spirit came up for air and felt so far from God, felt so disconnected and hungry for his presence and um, burnt out, to be honest, because we can... Uh, do a lot, but if we're not connected to that true power source, our our first love, um, then that fruit we bear is really by our own efforts. When he says, no, draw near to me, I will draw near to you, and uh, I want to know you and for you to know me, and the fruit that comes from that, and that's that spirit-conceived fruit that builds the kingdom and um, that we're sustained by. So Mm -hmm. the truth of intimacy is it's dynamic. It is um, mutual. It's a choice to continue to engage. And it so beautifully transforms everything when we understand it rightly. 
you know, this notion of intimacy, uh, I think, repels us from pursuing God, and it also makes us long for that. On the one hand, we long to be known. On the other hand, we fear being known. Is that part of what prevents us from pressing in that um, we'll be exposed, that the worst parts of us will somehow um, uh, create an impediment in our relationship with God, which is just contrary to what Scripture encourages us to do. But is that part of what prevents us from pressing into God as he um, moves toward us? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, there's so many encounters um, that we've had in our own lives or experiences. Think of, you know, authority figures that have been over us or maybe uh, relationships with our parents or intimate relationships we've had with other people that have left us hurt or confused or wounded or our perception of um, trusting is violated or, you know, any number of unhealthy relationships with Mm -hmm. man, uh, with one another, these things deeply impress on us our understanding of intimacy. So, man, then here in the scriptures, well, the invitation is to be intimate with God. And we're like, I don't want anything to do with that because that left me hurt or I laid myself there for someone, you know, my heart and they left me, they rejected me. it leads us to believe that God will love us the same as other relationships have been. Um, but the truth is that his, his love is actually perfect and it's abiding and it stays and it's long suffering and it's gracious and it's kind and he doesn't force himself upon us. He um, reveals himself and he gives us a choice. Uh, to choose to engage with him. And a big part of writing this book and even navigating uh, healing for myself as I, as I began to explore true intimacy with God was processing through, hey, why am I terrified to be vulnerable? Why mm-hmm. does every time, you know, sin is revealed in me, do I just shut down or want to run from uh, that engagement when really the word says, the conviction from the Holy Spirit is, is a work of the Spirit. It's a good thing. It's meant to do a beautiful heart surgery on us, you know, to draw what's in the darkness out into light and to set us free. Because where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. But a lot of the times, because we're confused to, to the dynamic layers of intimacy, we just want what feels good or makes us feel good and happy. And if it doesn't, we don't really want much to do with it. We miss out on this sanctifying, transformative love that is uh, layered and dynamic, but is sure and um, and is good on its word and promises us of uh, its staying power. We're talking with Mo Aiken. She's the author of Fully Known, An Invitation to True Intimacy with God. In the introduction you write, let me start by sharing a truth your heart is likely longing to be reminded. You were made to know intimacy with God. You were created to commune with your creator, tuned to know that sound, the sound of the good shepherd's voice, designed to experience his dignifying touch, and sculpted by him to house his perfect and powerful spirit. You, you are who he loves, and God has made a way for you to know him and be known by him both now and forevermore. That's such a beautiful reminder of what we are intended to be. But you also write that intimacy comes with great cost. What is the cost that we might expect 
as we follow God's invitation to press into him. Yeah, it's it's the reality of, um, again, as we liken it to a marriage covenant, it's the reality of a mutual commitment. Um, what, what marriage doesn't really look like, um, though we see this a lot around us, is basically I, I choose you and I hope you keep me happy. And if I'm not happy, then uh, I change my mind. But the, the truth of healthy covenant is a mutual exchange. You give all for me, I give all for you. And we know that Christ gave everything for us. Mm-hmm. He laid down his life to save us, to redeem us. And so this um, mutual engagement is that we're not abusive of grace or picking and choosing when we want to claim God and living our lives, you know, a different way the other days of the week. But it's a mutual laying down of our life. What would you have of me, Lord? Where would you have me go? How, what would you point out in me that, you know, I, I should turn from? How would you use me to build your kingdom? And that uh, picture of, of mutual exchange looks a lot like the work of the cross, which was self-sacrifice. And it's what it looks like a lot in our lives as well. There is cost of um, our wants sometimes, our will, to align ourselves with his heart, his way, and his works. And um, while it seems like, man, I don't want to think about the cost. That just seems like a lot. I think the beautiful invitation is to also focus on the great gain. Mm Because when we will begin to um, live in step in oneness with him in that way, yes, there's cost. But the gain that comes to see the kingdom built, to see captives set free, to see people's lives transformed by his love, to see the work that he wants to do in and through us makes every moment of it worth it. And so this intimacy not only transforms us from the inside out, but it also is what empowers us by his grace to love our neighbors well. And are those not the greatest two commandments, right? Love the Lord your God with all. And love your neighbor as yourself. And um, the beauty of intimacy with him is that it only heals and helps restore our understanding of right-natured intimacy with one another. And I think we'll see transformation over the body of Christ when we embrace these two things and uh, are learn to love and to speak and carry truth well. Because we've been loved and we've been ministered to by truth in that hidden place with God. Yes, yes. Once again, the book is Fully Known, An Invitation to True Intimacy with God. I'm having a conversation with Mo Aiken. We'll continue that conversation in a moment, but I do need to take a quick break. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. And I'm continuing my conversation with Mo Aiken. She's a New York Times bestselling author. Her most recent book is Fully Known, An Invitation to True Intimacy with God. It's a, it's a concept that many of us long for. And in Fully Known, how we get there and the benefits of the intimacy that God invites us to uh, with himself is explained in a way that I think will inspire all of us to want to rush toward him as 
um, as he uh, calls us. Now, I know many of us are very busy doing kingdom work. You mentioned that one of the uh, inspirations for the book was the fact that you were busy doing a lot of things, but there was something lacking. What do you say to those who feel, well, they're burned out, either with service mm-hmm. to the church, with Christianity in general, um, but there's that that lack of intimacy that fuels joyful ministry moving forward, um, and, you know, we just, we're ready to just give up. Right. Well, I would first say it's the very place I found myself, like you mm-hmm. mentioned. And so I don't think it's unfamiliar ground for those who um, are navigating the faith. I I actually think it's an area we don't speak into enough. And so a lot of people become confused, disheartened, kind of shamed around. Well, I, I, I do believe in Jesus, but this... Uh, is exhausting or this this can't be the fullness of what this blood-bought grace is able uh, to do in my life. And we wrestle sort of this shame in that spot. But I think sometimes it takes us stepping back and, and bending a knee and slowing down to realize, oh, my works are preceding my time with mm. him my intimacy mm-hmm. with him. How many people in the ministry burn out because there are so many things to do, but they don't know how to just be with God, or it is not priority to simply be with him in his presence because our task list runs so deep. We don't have the time. Uh, but the reality is that he has great works in store for our lives, but they are the works that are born out of that intimate quiet, prioritized space. And those works, those works conceived by the Spirit, those are sustainable because we begin building the kingdom of God as He instructs, you know, by His hand versus working so hard to uh, do what we think is best and really burning out in the process. And it's countercultural, right? It's even offensive to many to say, hey, uh, maybe we Sabbath, <laughs> maybe we settle down, maybe we rest at his feet, maybe you step away for a while. But if we look even at the story of Mary and Martha, whom I love both, and Jesus loved both of those women, we give Martha a hard rap a lot of the time, but she was laboring from good intention, from a pure heart place that wanted to serve the Lord. But what Jesus says in that exchange when Mary asks him to rebuke or when Martha asks him to rebuke Mary for simply sitting at his feet, he says, Martha, you are concerned about so many things. But, but if you're going to be concerned about anything, let it be this. Mary has found it, and it cannot be taken from her. And I just see in the scriptures this illumination of actual permission from Jesus to concern ourselves with something. But that concern is not how am I going to fit in Jesus? You know, how am I going to fit in my time with God amongst all my other demands? The concern kind of flips of how am I going to fit in the needs of life outside of this prioritization of being at his feet? Mm. And he says that what Mary has found there, it can't be taken from her. And I don't know about you, but I, I want the treasures of heaven that can't be taken, no matter what the demands of life are, this world looks like, or, you know, the circumstances around me, that prioritization, that posture of being with him is um, ours and it, and it can't be stolen. It can't be taken. And um, 
I think it is, it's a truth that many of us need to wrestle with and receive that it's okay to slow down. It's okay to stop. Man, this book took me two and a half years because he convicted me in the process of writing it and I had to stop for a while mm. <laughs> to just be with him so I could actually bring forth the words that he intended, not just that my own best efforts could work up. But that's a hard sell for people, <laughs> for our culture where we're goers and doers and everything can be done so fast and our schedules can be so full. Uh, but it's a holy sell to those who really want to know life and life abundantly with him. Yeah, a life of surrender where he's the priority. Now, some of us do, well, the minimum, if you will, just enough uh, to pursue uh, the relationship with God, but don't want to go any further um, or have to. What do we miss when we settle for the least of what's available to us in our relationship with Christ, as opposed to doing what you just described, making the choice mm-hmm. to believe what the scriptures say, that intimacy with him far outweighs in value and virtually anything else um, than uh, just pursuing what we are familiar with, what we can do on our own. And, you know, with the guarantee, well, I'm going to get to heaven. It's just I may not know the the king of heaven as well as some others who are mm-hmm. there. Well, that's what we have to wrestle with. That was the very scripture that challenged me and brought things deeper in my heart. Matthew seven twenty one through 23, where Jesus says, Not all who say to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, only those who do the will of my Father. And many will say to me, well, you know, did we not prophesy? We cast demons, we perform miracles. But to them, I will say, depart from me. I never knew you. Away from me, you workers of lawlessness. And I began to wrestle with this scripture because for a while I dismissed it as, oh, it's just non-believers, you know, that it's speaking to. But he's saying, no, there are many who will call me Lord, but they even go on to argue their, their great works, right? But his response is, yeah, but I never knew you. And so Mm -hmm. the prioritization really of the gospel there, the assuredness, the day we stand before him that we wouldn't tremble in fear, but that we would have been made perfect in his love, as the word says, is that the priority is to know him. This word, this uh, in Hebrew means yada. It is um, the same version of the word used when it said like, and Joseph had not yet known Mary or the man took his wife and he knew her. It implies a deep, connected oneness. And so when I began to understand that, a scary piece of scripture actually became a beautiful invitation. But it was sobering in the reality that um, just claiming his name and then abusing his grace, it it doesn't make evident that the gospel has transformed our lives. You know, many doing just the bare minimum, we've sort of bought into, I think, a, a cultural cell maybe of uh, the gospel. But I want to be sure, I want to know in my heart, in my spirit, that that he was my, my life source, that my life was one with him, that my days weren't wasted or I wasn't deceived, uh, but that I took accountability for my own walk and didn't just uh, perform, but I'll stand before him and hear well done because I knew his voice and I followed him and I 
received his love and I poured out my life in response. And um, it's so much deeper. I, I think a lot of the times, especially when we are walking in maybe a place of that more shallow faith or um, maybe that cultural buy-in and we say Lord, but uh, it's sort of a, a compartmentalized piece of our days. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes that comes from a heart posture of maybe not even realizing the full and powerful and abundant access that we have to the spirit of the living God. Uh, as if we have to go through someone else, as if we could only learn from, you know, uh, who, whosoever looks like they're such a strong Christian. No, we have the very bread of life, the word of God, right at our fingertips. I mean, you could have it as an app on your phone. We have the spirit of the living God eager to commune individually and uniquely and specifically with each one of us. And so if there's someone listening who maybe finds themselves in that place, I would just compel them into depths, into the deeper waters. There is more. Just as the excerpt you read from the book, we were made to know our maker, created to commune with him. And this isn't reserved for an elite few. This is the invitation to all by way of the gospel. He wants to speak to you. He wants to know you. He wants to guide you and uh, answer your cries, your questions. And you have that very same access that I have, uh, that that your pastor has, that whosoever around you has. Um, it's just the, the willingness to receive that and to um, draw near to that invitation versus running from it or dismissing it as unimportant. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the book is beautifully written. It certainly has challenged me, and I'm going to go back and uh, study through many portions of it. The book is fully known, An Invitation to True Intimacy with God. Mo Aiken, thank you for taking those couple of years to write the book and to listen to and be guided by the Spirit. And uh, I'll certainly keep you in prayer as you're just days away from son number number four. Uh, Really appreciate (laughs) your time today. Thank you so much. Be blessed. You too. Again, Mo Aiken, fully known, an invitation to true intimacy with God. A great book. And during this season where we have perhaps a little more time, it's a great opportunity to take stock of where we stand in our relationship with God and if we're taking full advantage of all that He has made available through to us. Hey, you're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back in just a few moments. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the final segment of the Georgine Rice Show. Well, the United States Congressional Committee is expected to approve a design for Billy Graham's statue this fall. It's going to stand at the Capitol in the National Statuary Hall. That is, if it is allowed to stand. Uh, It's near the founding fathers Samuel Adams and Roger Sherman, where each state legislature places two monuments to represent their achievement and their ideals. Reverend Graham will stand for the best of North Carolina. He's replacing former North Carolina Governor Charles Aycock. Uh, He played a key role in the white supremacist overthrow of the democratically elected government in Wilmington in 1898. He also pushed laws that kept black people out of government and stopped um, stopped us, if you will, from voting, rolling back the protections of African-American civil rights, won in the Civil War, and his statue will be moved uh, to his birthplace museum. 
Well, it has uh, taken a while for North Carolina to get uh, the monument officially approved, according to Paul Cobble and Garrett Diamond um, from the Legislative Services Office of the state's General Assembly. The process is pretty complicated, and the state-approved proposal had to be resubmitted in August after the Congressional Committee was reconstituted following the 2020 election. So it's a long, drawn-out process, and it's a significant honor particularly to replace the former governor of the state. Uh, The state assembly um, has not heard significant complaints about removing ACOC, uh, nor objections uh, to honoring Graham, who died in 2018. So at this point, that's pretty good. Billy Graham is North Carolina's favorite son, Diamond said. He's beloved. And not just beloved in North Carolina. When the statue goes up, perhaps in 2023, it's going to be the second uh, raised to the man once called America's pastor and will join more than a dozen other monuments to the late evangelist. And while there is no official tally, Billy Graham appears to be the most memorialized religious leader since John Wesley. So kudos to the um, decision makers and, of course, to the legacy of Billy Graham. Now, he left a significant legacy. And the truth is, every one of us will leave a legacy as well. The question is, what kind of uh, memorial, excuse me. What kind of memorial, if you will, we will leave behind? How will people remember us? Did we choose to uh, to love in a way that's reflecting the love of Christ or in other ways? Well, less than a week after Rosa Parks refused to give up her seat on a bus to a white passenger, Martin Luther King Jr. became president of the Montgomery Improvement Association of Montgomery, Alabama. Upon King's appointment, he started receiving death threats. One phone call in particular left him unnerved. He described the call in a speech where he recounted, on the other end was an ugly voice. That voice said to me, in substance, we are tired of you and your mess now. And if you aren't out of this town in three days, we're going to blow your brains out and blow up your house. King was shaken, as anyone would be. He had to step into his kitchen to uh, regather his thoughts. There he considered the safety of his beautiful wife, his precious little girl. He imagined the rage that awaited him in the streets. He questioned whether the effort was worth the risk. Well, Max Lucado recently wrote about that incident and where we find ourselves here in the 21st century. And he suggests this is our moment to join God in his holy work. He writes, what about you? Have you ever found yourself in a hard place, shaken by your situation, when the downsizing has been declared, when division and judgment proliferate, when the account has no cash, when the marriage has no joy, when the crib is empty and the grave is occupied? If we look to scripture, we find a story that encourages us in unwelcome situations. Early in the book of Esther, we find Mordecai and Esther in a hard place. They were Jewish cousins living in Persia who concealed their Jewish identity to adapt to the Persian way of living. So far, this plan seemed to be working out. Mordecai landed a job at the king's palace and Esther became queen of Persia. All was going well until, well, the news came. A royal decree, you might recall, was sent out to all the provinces stating that the Jewish people were to be killed. Mordecai sent Esther a copy of the extermination orders and urged her to reach out to her husband, the king. Esther responded with her reasons to stay silent. It's against the law. It's been 30 days since the king gave me so much as a second look. He's in a foul mood for sure. He'll probably kill me. All valid reasons for not stepping forward. Mordecai gave her reservations some thought and sent a message with some of the most profound observations you're going to read in the Bible. Mordecai the Jew became Mordecai the theologian. 
Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. That's the fourth chapter of Esther. Well, this was the message of Mordecai. Relief is coming. God will have his victory. He will rescue his people. The question is not, will God prevail? The question is, will you be a part of the team? Well, Esther's response to Mordecai's message was significant. She told him, go gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it's against the law. And if I perish, I perish. But what happened? What moved Esther from I can't do anything to I'm willing to lose everything? What took her from if I go, I'll perish to if I perish, I perish? Well, it had to be the straightforward message of Mordecai. Mordecai opened a window and shed a divine light into Esther's world. You are here for a reason, he said. Your life is part of a plan. You were placed here on purpose for a purpose. So were you, my friend, you, like Esther, were made for this moment. To be clear, you didn't ask for this struggle. You want to get past it. You don't know how much longer you'll be able to hold up. But what if God is in this? What if you, like Esther, have an opportunity to act in a way that will bless more people than you could imagine? This is your hour. This is your moment. And that's always true when we're talking about faithfulness and obedience. You were made to stand up like Mordecai, to speak up like Esther. Your challenge is an opportunity to join God in his work. And what a privilege it is that he would allow us to do that. Well, King realized this truth, though the future was uncertain and fear was knocking at his door. Martin Luther King followed Esther's lead, bowed his head and asked God for help. When recalling his prayer, he said, and it seemed at that moment that I could hear an inner voice saying to me, Martin Luther, stand up for righteousness, stand up for justice, stand up for truth. And lo, I will be with you even until the end of the world. Well, freshly fortified, he continued the work, leaving his mark on what is arguably the most prominent movement of the 21st century. Each of our lives intersects with opportunities in which we can come alongside the work of God. We won't speak to a Persian king. Very few will lead a movement of liberty, but heaven will offer each one of us, without exception, the privilege of participating in holy work. When your invitation comes, may you hear the same spirit that King heard, find the same courage Esther found, and make the same decision Mordecai made. Relief will come. May God help you and me be part of it. Again, quoting from Max Lucado, this is your moment to join God in his holy work. If we look to scripture, we find a story that encourages us in unwelcome situations, and I hope each of us will rise to the occasion. And who knows what our legacy ultimately will be. I want to thank James Blend for producing today's program, Clark Hilton for engineering, and thank you for making the Georgine Rice Show part of your day. Have a great night. Thanks for listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like to download a podcast of the show or would like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com or on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at G Rice Show and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ. 
Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.